Hello, everyone. Welcome to We All Live Downstream, a Clean Water Action podcast. In each episode, we will be interviewing leading environmental and clean water activists about their work in the field. We'll dive deep into topics from drinking water and climate change to plastic pollution and toxic chemicals. I'm your host, Benny Bickers. And I'm your host, Thani Patel. In today's interview, we will be interviewing Jennifer Peters, Clean Water Action's Water Programs Director, to talk to her about her groundbreaking work to tackle PFA's water pollution in Colorado. Thank you so much for being here today, Jennifer. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So what sparked your love of environmental science and fighting to protect our water? Well, back in the late 90s, as an undergrad in college, I took an environmental science course as an elective, and I loved the class so much that I decided to change my major from psychology to environmental science. And I haven't looked back since. Um, I'm still learning so much because it's a, such a fascinating and complex field. Um, because it's interdisciplinary, you have to have a grounding in law and science and economics. And, you know, water policy is important to me because I really think there's nothing more important than um, safeguarding clean water for, for everyone across the country. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So what brought you to Clean Water Action and what issues do you as a water programs director work on? Yeah, so because I became interested in becoming a water advocate after I worked for several years in the water restoration field. And I became very frustrated with how short-sighted policy decisions would undermine our restoration work. Um, so I've been with Clean Water Action for almost nine years and I oversee our organization's work related to water pollution and drinking water issues. And in particular, I focus on the nexus between Clean Water Act programs and drinking water impacts. And I'm especially interested in advocating for solving drinking water challenges with equitable solutions that address water pollution at the source. So for example, too often we place the burden of cleaning up polluted water on downstream drinking water utilities, when that pollution should be in reality more equitably addressed upstream by requiring polluting industries, whether it's a coal-fired power plant or oil refinery. Um, those industries should not be allowed to dump chemicals in our water. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that um, an issue that a lot of environmental scientists and activists run into is policy. So recently, Clean Water Action had a big win in Colorado. The Water Quality Control Commission passed a new policy to address PFAs contamination in Colorado waters. So what exactly is PFAs? Where does it come from? And why should we be concerned? So per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, which are commonly referred to as PFAS, they are a class of nearly 5,000 human-made chemicals that have been around since the 40s and 50s. And PFAS are formed from the carbon-fluorine molecular bond, which is the strongest molecular bond that is known to humans. And because of this strong bond, PFAS are water resistant, they're grease resistant, they're stain resistant, which is why we see them used in a wide range of industrial and commercial products. You know, things ranging from firefighting foam, nonstick cookware, food packaging, water repellent clothing, et cetera. 
Um, and PFAS are commonly referred to as forever chemicals because they do not break down in the environment. They are highly persistent and mobile, which means they can bioaccumulate or concentrate up a food chain and they can travel unchanged through streams, rivers, and other water bodies, including drinking water sources. And these class of chemicals are linked to serious health problems, including damage to liver, liver thyroid, um, pancreatic function, there's immune system harm associated with these chemicals, hormone disruption, high cholesterol, and certain types of cancer. But despite the serious um, health impacts from these chemicals, there are no federal regulations to control them in surface water or drinking water. So states around the country have been adopting their own regulations and policies to protect their residents. So can you briefly explain the problem of PFAS in Colorado and why immediate action needed to be taken there? So in Colorado, um, we seem to be finding PFAS wherever we look. So a major source that was first identified um, is through the use of firefighting foams. Um, so communities that live near Air Force bases or fire stations have had their drinking water sources contaminated with PFAS including in um, El, Paso, El Paso, Boulder, and Adams counties. And in fact, a residence living in El Paso County, which is near um, the Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado Springs, there was a study done that found that these residents had blood lead levels of certain PFAS that were two to 12 times higher than the national average. Um, there's also been contamination found in the Denver metro area near the Buckley Air Force Base and also near the Suncor, Suncor oil refinery, which is discharging very high levels of PFAS into Sand Creek, which is a tributary of the South Platte River. Um, and also recently the state has been doing water sampling. So they tested, they've only so far tested about 5% of streams um, and other surface waters in our state, but they found in every sample, they found detectable levels of PFAS. And, and they also um, had about half of our drinking water systems tested both their treated water and some also tested their source water. And we also found that there was wide prevalence of PFAS in these source water, drinking water sources. And, you know, I think what this reveals is, um, is, you know, there's still a lot we don't know about where PFAS is in Colorado because we've only sampled a small um, amount of our water sources. Um, and also another issue of concern is that 20% of Colorado's population, they rely on private wells, but yet none of them have been tested for PFAS. So clearly the prevalence of these chemicals in our state's water is an urgent public health problem that the state must be um, acting both to clean up this pollution at these you know, sites where we've already found drinking water contamination in groundwater. And we also have to prevent more contamination of our state's waters by reining in industries like Suncor that are discharging these chemicals directly into our water. It sounds like this is a very vast problem. Uh, you mentioned a couple of specific areas that you guys tested. Is there a specific group, I'm wondering, that is uh, more harmed by PFAS? So in Colorado and nationally, um, exposure to PFAS chemicals 
disproportionately um, impacts communities that live near industrial sites, such as an oil refinery like Suncor, um, people who live near airports or military bases. So that's been found around the country. You're finding contamination, especially around military bases. But also um, because PFAS is frequently used in food packaging, um, you know, we have areas around this country where we have food deserts and often it's low income and communities of color that are more likely to experience food insecurity and have less access to fresh, fresh and nutritious food. And so then therefore they have, may have more limited options and be dependent or relying on food that's packaged with PFAS. Wow, this seems like such a great issue. And I, I didn't even know about the food packaging. Um, so uh, can you share with me and our audience the critical points of Colorado's new policy and the parts that you believe will have the most significant impact in Colorado? Sure. So a really important thing to know about Colorado's policy is that it's not a new regulation, which maybe sounds like, oh, well, that's not very exciting. That's not a big deal. But the reason this is important and actually I see as a very innovative approach for Colorado is that it takes time to, to, to make new regulations, you know, years. Um, and Colorado really wanted to act quickly because we had so many known contamination sites. And so the state decided to look at their existing regulator, regulatory authority, both under the Federal Clean Water Act and our own state Water Quality Control Act to see how they could better use these existing policies and programs to address PFAS. Because across the board, um, you know, states aren't always using their full authority to address water pollution problems because, you know, they have limited resources, right? They can't go after every single polluter. Um, and so, so this policy really, it lays out how the state will use their narrative, what are called narrative water quality standards. And these describe, you know, at a very basic level, you know, in a general sense that there should be no, um, you know, chemicals that are polluting Colorado's waters in toxic amounts, right? So it's very broad. So it gives them a broad authority to address this issue. And so, you know, they're specifically with this new policy, the state is going to focus on monitoring for PFAS. So they're going to require, you know, anyone who's discharge has a water pollution permit to discharge. They will they will have to if the, if they're suspected to be using PFAS, they will have to mon begin monitoring for it. And in places like the Suncor oil refinery, I already mentioned, they are known to be discharging PFAS. And so this policy. Um, under this policy, the state will require limits on the amount that Suncor can be dumping into our water. And then they're also going to be another uh, critical piece of this policy is the state is going to be doing source investigations um, and more water sampling to identify other potential areas of contamination in the state. So that's valuable because, you know, having that information could then the state could decide, oh, well, we need to list that this particular water body is impaired for PFAS and then come up with a plan to clean it up. And they are prioritizing surface waters for both sampling and for um, requiring effluent limits um, in areas that are also used as drinking water sources. And um, I would say that the source control component of this policy is particularly important 
because we shouldn't be shifting the burden of paying to clean up PFAS pollution onto downstream water systems and their customers. You know, these chemicals should have never been allowed to get into our drinking water sources in the first place. And certainly the industries that are profiting from their use should be paying to clean them up and not the rest of us. And so Michigan um, has used source control. And what that basically meant is you have these large municipal wastewater systems and they are accepting waste from all sorts of industries. And so they, instead of requiring the wastewater systems to treat the water, they looked upstream and said, Who's, who in our system is contributing PFAS? And then work with those industries for them to either, you know, control their own PFAS or to not stop using PFAS altogether. So it seems like it's a really good way to try to approach this issue at the source and just keep it out of our water in the first place. Yeah, that all sounds like serious work that definitely needed to happen. And, um, you know, it's great that we, that Colorado does have this new policy. Um, uh, so I believe source control was already implemented before this policy. So was there any issues when advocating for this po new policy? And did you like run into um, any burdens or any, any concerns? Were there any concerns while advocating for this policy? Well, we were, so we were, Clean Water Action, we worked with a coalition of other groups in Colorado on this issue. Um, we're very closely with our partners at Earth Justice, the Fountain Valley Clean Water Coalition, Green Latinos, Sierra Club and others. And one thing that we really were advocating for was we wanted the state to actually set stringent limits on the amount of PFAS that could be discharged. So as I already mentioned, there's no federal limit in water for the amount of PFAS, <coughs> excuse me, that can be present, but there are what are called federal health advisory levels, which are basically recommendations of what states should be doing in absence of regulations. And so <clears throat> that number that EPA came up with is 70 parts per trillion for both, for, a, for two, P, the mo two of the most common PFAS, PFO and PFOS. But the science since this, this, regular, this health advisory goal came out in 2016 has really indicated that actually those levels need to be much lower to be more protective of human health. And so our groups were really pushing for the state to put into this policy um, a limit. So there, I should back up and explain a little bit. So the state, the way they're interpreting effluent limits in this policy, um, the, which are the water pollution permit limits, is that if, say, a Suncor is discharging more than 70 parts per trillion, <coughs> excuse me, it's the wildfire smoke that's irritating my throat right now, um, um, that we're having all these wildfires in Colorado. So, um, and so they have to um, follow that, so they, they're going to follow that 70 parts per trillion because they don't want to, they're a little, Colorado's weird in the sense that they're very hesitant to do anything that's more stringent than federal. And so um, we weren't able to get the state to adapt a stricter number, but we were able to convince the commission to add language 
saying, well, the state shouldn't just rely on the 70 parts per trillion. They should continue to look at the science that's coming out. And basically, they have the authority to set more stringent limits in the future if they want to. Yeah, so ultimately, the commissioners did vote unanimously in support of the policy. And like you said, they added the language that said um, that the Colorado <clears throat> Department of Public Health and Environment retains the authority to implement more stringent levels in the future where scientifically supportable. So I guess what I want to know is how did this decision come about? Was this something that you saw happening? Because there was quite a lot of uproar from this policy proposal, because like you said, Colorado is don't, doesn't really like to do anything that the federal level isn't doing. So was there a lot of uproar? And, you know, was this decision something that you saw happening? Well, I, I was honestly surprised because we, during this whole process, so this was a nine-month stakeholder process. There was actually um, a stakeholder um, advisory committee that the Colorado Department of Public Health and the Environment convened beginning last fall that I was a part of many other environmental groups, but also the regular regulated community, wastewater utilities, different municipalities throughout the state. So we were all part of this very robust stakeholder process leading up to the, the public hearing before the Water Quality Control Commission. And during that whole process, there were a lot of stakeholders, not from the environmental community, that were really trying to, that were trying to slow down the process and saying that, oh, the state was moving too quickly. We need to investigate more about the science. Um, you know, we shouldn't be putting this burden on wastewater utilities. And certainly we agree that the burden shouldn't be on wastewater utilities to clean this up, but we also don't think that means you delay taking action, right? So we were definitely nervous that we were gonna, that this policy wouldn't even get passed because there was so much opposition from, mm -hmm. The, regula the regulated community. And so, but then when we got to the hearing, um, it was two days, there were testimony from all different stakeholders, but I really think it was the impacted community members that showed up. So we had community members from the, you know, the Peterson Air Force Base that I mentioned near Colorado Springs. We had community members that lived near the Suncor oil refinery and they shared their personal stories and their concerns about this issue. And I think that really swayed the commissioners that this is a serious issue that needs to be addressed and they wanted to give the state as much authority to move forward with um, protecting Coloradans from this pollution. That's awesome. I think at the end of the day, everyone needs to realize and state legislators definitely need to realize that this is an issue that affects normal human beings and we need policy that helps, you know, make, have these health precautions and, you know, let these normal beings be healthy because these, this issue directly affects normal people's health and everyone's health. Um, so there's, of course, always more work to be done to ensure our health and our water safety. Um, so how is Clean Water Action planning on holding the CO Department of Public Health and Environment accountable for successfully implementing this policy? And what other issues are you planning to tackle next? Well, critical to the success of this policy will be to ensure that we're watchdogging this <clears throat> permit setting process. So we need to show up environmental 
um, groups and community members need to show up because the state will be having public hearings anytime there's a permit that comes up for renewal. And it's really critical that we're there to be advocating for the, the, the most stringent um, pollution limits possible. Um, and also, you know, this policy, it's a significant step forward, um, but in order to fully protect communities, um, we know that the state actually, you know, needs to do more than just use its existing authority to control these chemicals. And so we are going to continue to advocate that Colorado should set their own, both set their own um, drinking water standards. So those would be maximum containment levels. And so that's something that other states like New Jersey and New York have done, have set stronger limits for PFAS and drinking water. And as well as, um, you know, the state could also do more under the Clean Water Act to address this issue too. So we're going to continue to advocate for them to do as much as they can and to engage in the stakeholder process that is going to be continuing as the state works to implement this policy. Um, and I'm really interested in, you know, so Clean Water Action, we have offices in states around the country and a lot of them are places that are also impacted by PFAS. So I'm really interested in working with other states to see how this Colorado approach could be used in other places as well, because, um, you know, I think it's, it's important to not, um, you know, it's important to act quickly. And this is certainly something that Colorado showed could be done in a very short amount of time. And also, you know, in general, um, you know, we continue to advocate for, you know, strengthening our um, Clean Water Act um, programs we've seen over the past four years. We've seen a lot of rollbacks under the current administration. And so a big part of our work moving forward is like, how can we act quickly to repair the damage of the past few years from all of these horrible rollbacks to our nation's water laws? Awesome. Um, and our final question, if you could give one piece of advice to Gen Z and the generations after that that are passionate about instilling beneficial environmental changes, what would it be? I think it's critically, critically important to find your allies and work together in a coalition and supportive community. So no matter what environmental issue that you're passionate about, whether it's climate change or drinking water or land use, there's probably already an organization where you live um, that is working on this issue. And so, you know, it's really important to collaborate with those, you know, join and collaborate those, with those organizations um, because you can, not only can you learn so much from working with others, um, it really helps to share the burden of the workload because, you know, advocacy work can be very rewarding, but it is also exhausting. And, you know, it's critically important to, to avoid burnout. And I think a, an important way that I've learned to avoid burnout is to work together in a supportive community and really lean on each other um, when we need to. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for all your amazing work to protect our water, environment, and health, and for taking this time to chat with us today. And thank you all for listening to our show. To learn more about Clean Water Action, visit cleanwateraction.org. And be sure to catch every episode by subscribing to We All Live Downstream on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Thank you.